It's in the singing of a street corner choir. It's going home and getting warm by the fire. It's true wherever you find love, it feels like Christmas. A cup of kindness that we share with another. A sweet reunion with a friend or a brother. In all the places you find love, it feels like Christmas. It is the season of the heart. A special time of caring, the ways of love make clear. And it is the season of the spirit, the message if we hear it is make it last on here. Welcome to First Impressions, the podcast where we talk about our love for Jane Austen and apparently also Charles Dickens. Yeah, who knew? <laughs> and give a big middle finger to all the haters. I am Kristen and I'm joined by Maggie. Hi, everybody. Ho, and we're ho, gonna... ho. Merry <laughs> Christmas. In honor of Christmas, uh, as befits Christmas, we are going to talk about A Christmas Carol today. Not only are we going to talk about the novel, which we both read, which is an absolute delight and so readable. We're also going to talk about a Muppet Christmas Carol. The best <laughs> adaptation. The best adaptation. By Actually, far. that is why we're even doing this podcast. I forget why we were talking about a Christmas Carol, Kristen, but I was basically like, well, a Muppet Christmas Carol is the best adaptation. Um, and we should do a podcast episode about why. And you were like, I agree. <laughs> so <laughs> then I was like, well, I guess we should read it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I try to read it every year. It was many years ago that I had nothing to read. And some December, I was like, you know what? I wonder how readable it is. And it actually, I tried to read it because of the movie about the Christmas Carol, because there are so many lines that they're clearly reading from the book. And Which I'm is one like, of the reasons why it's a great adaptation. Yes. But lines like darkness was cheap and Scrooge liked it. And mm -hmm. it's like, that's funny. You know, that's that's. That's very readable. Maybe the whole thing. And it's it was great. It I is remember, funny. It is very funny. Yeah. It in the bath. Yeah, it's so funny. It was like in the bathtub, like cracking up. My husband's like, what are you doing? I'm reading Dickens. <laughs> um, I will just start off by saying I am. I don't want to say I'm not a Dickens fan because that seems like really strong. I mean, he's one of the like most famous, you know, kind of seminal authors in English language. But I just I think a lot of his stuff is a big bummer. I don't really like bummers <laughs> and a lot of it's very dense. Like I'm not looking for bleak house. Oh, I you know, know what I mean. Bay yeah, love my husband Bayard loves a tale of two cities. And I remember reading it in 10th grade and just being like, man, this is not for me. I mean, he was a genius, right? Uh, Dickens, but like, it's just not for me, but this book is for me. This novella was great. I loved it. One of my, uh, one of my friends, Mary, I was reading Bleak House and I went online and started complaining about it. Like it was so good. It was so good. It was so good. And then you just get to this chapter, which is like hitting a solid brick wall where you're like, mm -hmm. what is he talking about? This is such a slog. I'm so bored with this. And so I tweeted, I was like, you know, 
it, it, sometimes Dickens is so wonderful. It's so amazing. You're reading, you're like, oh my God, this guy's a genius. And sometimes you're just like, this is completely unreadable. And my friend Mary responded, she's like, yeah. And oftentimes it's in the same book. Yeah. But, <laughs> but Christmas Carol does not suffer that the Dickens syndrome at all. It's, it goes, it goes along as such a fast clip and the, there are like so many bangers in there, like so many great lines and you're like, yes. yeah. And it's short. I mean, like, yes, it's a novella. I mean, I, I, I let it stretch over a couple of nights just because I was enjoying it and I wanted to read it before bed, but I mean, you could knock it out pretty quickly. Yeah. And I totally expected it to begin with the line. The Marleys are dead to begin with. We're dead to begin with the Marleys plural. Yeah. Cause they, <laughs> they just sell her in Waldorf as, <laughs> Jacob and Robert Marley, uh, which is like so. One of the great things about um, a Muppet Christmas Carol as an adaptation is that the characters in this book—they're not like—I don't want to say that they're caricatures, um, but they do lend themselves to kind of like a larger-than-life person playing them. And so, if you get Muppets, it's perfect. It's just like perfect. Um, I think Gonzo is absolutely perfect as the narrator because he has that wry sense of humor, which the narrator completely does in this book. The two Jewish guys, Wald, what is his name? Waldorf and what? And Waldorf. <laughs> to me, they're always Jewish. <laughs> two old guys. And I can say this, I am Jewish. These two old guys who like sit up in the balcony and just shit on everything. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. anyway, amazing, perfect, no notes. <laughs> Yes, they're they are Jacob and Robert Marley yeah. in the movie, <laughs> and they get to sing the Marley and Marley song, which Whoa. is a, an amazing song. And I, so I own the soundtrack to this movie. You know, like independent of the film itself, I own the soundtrack and I listen to it constantly. Um, but I was watching the movie with my mom a couple years ago, and that sang, song came on. And when they go, Ooh, she looks at me, she goes, Margaret, this is scary. <laughs> I was like, other, <laughs> these are Muppets. Come on. <laughs> It's kind of scary. I mean, the, the the adaptation also does not shy away from the fact that some of it is scary. I mean, Gonzo and Rizzo peace out at the end. They say, this like, is too scary for us, folks. We'll see you at the finale. We'll see you to the, there's another reference like, gosh, this is kind of scary. Isn't it too scary for the kids? And like Gonzo's like, nah, it's culture. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's just two. Li- this is all over the place. Sorry, listeners. But there's two lines in particular that I just really want to. First of all, the songs in the show are amazing um, in the movie. And the writing is fantastic. There's just a couple lines I wanted to, before we go down our rabbit hole, Kristen, bring to everyone's attention, which is at the end of Marley and Marley, they go, we're Marley and Marley. Ooh. And then at the end, they go, change. And they just yell change at him. <laughs> I think that's so great. My favorite song is probably, it's in the singing of a street corner choir. It's going home and getting warm by the fire. Yes, yeah. ever you find love, it feels like Christmas. And there's a line in there where they say, it is the summer of the soul in December. And I always thought that was a really beautiful line. It's so um, funny you bring that up. I was actually going to also bring that line up, but to note that the lyrics are so dense to the soundtrack when you're watching the yeah, movie. It, they sing a lot of words. It is possible to miss a lot of lines the first time around. So it kind of rewards additional viewing. And captions. Yeah, yeah. It rewards captions too. It rewards captions. And you know, and some of the the things are quite abstract. Like this is not just a movie for kids. Like 
children do not know what the summer of the soul in December. That's right. quite high flown language. Right. Right. And, um, you know, the songs are, they reward, uh, I think listening. They're not like the catchiest. They're not like no life without wife, you know, like, I mean, I totally disagree, but fine, whatever. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> I, mean, I have them in my head sometimes for yeah. sure, but they're, they're not like, a breakaway pop hits, you know what I mean? Oh, well, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Um, and then the third thing I wanted to, is the first song where they sing about Scrooge, oh, here comes Mr. Skin Flint, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, there is a line and it was like in my head the whole time I was reading the novella, which is old Scrooge, loves his money because he thinks it brings him power. And I was thinking about that and on the surface level, it's like, okay, yes, money, power, blah, blah, blah. But I think that the people who made a Muppet Christmas Carol really understand the book and the power that they're referring to is not just like having power over people, you know, and like being rich and being able to do whatever you want. Scrooge has this like deep fear of being poor and powerless. Like it's not just not having power. He wants to have power. It's about having zero power because of poverty. And so for him, it's just about like having the money, having the money, having the security to never have to be like he was as a child again, to feel like that. And like, that's what breaks up his relationship with Belle. I think in the movie, she just talks about greed, but in the book. I thought it was amazing. She says, I have been replaced by another idol. And he says, what idol? And she says, a golden one. Mm. And she says, gain. It's not even about like the money itself. It's about just having always more because it's never enough. I always have to have more. I'm never have enough because, you know, it could, I think he's just afraid of being like he was as a child. And that's, so that's, that's my thesis. Um, in this TED talk, I will. <laughs> No, I, I I think you're absolutely right. And I think certainly when we look at Regency times, definitely when we look at Victorian times. Like, I think that would have been very visceral to Dickens' original readers too, because not having that power in Victorian England, what you wind up in the workhouses, you wind up in the in debtors' prisons, you know, like these are the social issues. So the message in A Christmas Carol, I was totally taken aback by like how incredibly powerful it was and like almost i mean i wouldn't say strident but it's there's no pulling punches like mm-hmm. the message of this is incredibly clear like hey and, help out people like yeah, don't just like, keep your money give it like, away charity is good yeah things <laughs> are so really bad lines. people need yeah. help yeah just do not turn away like do, you do not turn away basically and there, there, there are passages that are not in the Muppet Christmas Carol that I were I was very surprised by the first time I read a Christmas Carol, including this this vignette like of these two children. Yes, the, I've never seen this in any adaptation. I mean, I haven't seen every adaptation, but I've never seen this scene in any adaptation. And I thought it was very powerful. I, I think you're going to read it, so I'll let you do it. But uh, yeah, this like took me completely by surprise. The setting for this is that the spirit of Christmas present has just taken him through a wonderful Christmas. And then at when they're talking about how great it was, <laughs> just, 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 time is drawing near. The chimes were ringing. 
Forgive me if I'm not justified in what I ask, said Scrooge, looking intently at the spirit's robe, but I see something strange and not belonging to yourself protruding from your skirt. Is this a foot or a claw? It might be a claw for the flesh there is upon it, was the spirit's sorrowful reply. Look here. From the foldings of its robe, it brought two children, wretched, abject, frightful, hideous, miserable. They knelt down at its feet and clung upon the outside of its garment. Oh, man, look here. Look, look down here, exclaimed the ghost. The ghost is constantly addressing Scrooge as man, as in he's a representative of mankind. Like, hey, man. Okay. They were a boy and a girl, yellow, meager, ragged, scowling, wolfish, but prostrate too in their humility. Where graceful youth should have filled their features out and touched them with its freshest tints, a stale and shriveled hand like that of age had pinched and twisted them and pulled them into shreds. Where angels might have sat enthroned, devils lurked and glared out menacing. No change, no degradation, no perversion of humanity in any grade through all the mysteries of wonderful creation as monsters half so horrible and dread. Scrooge started back, appalled. Having them shown to him in this way, he tried to say that they were fine children, but the words choked themselves rather than be parties to a lie of such enormous magnitude. Spirit, are they yours? Scrooge could say no more. They are man's, said the spirit, looking down upon them, and they cling to me, appealing from their fathers. This boy is ignorance. This girl is want. Beware them both and all of their degrees. But most of all, beware this boy, for on his brow I see that written which is doom, unless the writing be erased. Deny it, cried the spirit, stretching out his hand towards the city. Slander those who tell it ye. Admit it for your factious purposes and make it worse, and abide the end. Have they no refuge or resource? cried Scrooge. Are there no prisons? said the spirit, turning on him for the last time with his own words. Are there no workhouses? The bell struck 12. Scrooge looked about him for the ghost and saw it not. So it's, they, they end that on a very not conciliatory note. The ghost throws Scrooge's words back in his face. And then it makes sense. Gone. It makes sense too. Cause we segue right into the ghost of Christmas yet to come, yeah. um, <laughs> which is like, creepy. it's, you know, it's like very grim reaper ish, very creepy. So it like, it, it helps segue you into the like scarier, sad part. Um, I do love every time they throw his words back in him. That's one. And then there's one earlier with Tiny Tim when he's like, you know, tell me that Tiny Tim won't die. And the spirit basically says, you know, I can't see that, but I feel that he will die. And shouldn't he get on with it and decrease the surplus population? And Scrooge is like, oh, fuck. Like that was <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> <laughs> like sick burn spirit. <laughs> One of the things that struck me in that passage when is is that the spirit says two things: slander those who tell it ye, mm -hmm. and then he says, admit it for your factious purposes, which is sort of like two things that a politician would do. Yeah, no, there's not a problem, or B, there's a problem, which is why you need to support me and my, you know. And it, it kind of made me wonder if there was a particular political position that that Dickens was trying to. Um, demolish in this or hint at at least. Mm. And then when, then when we read the Wikipedia page, which is about how far down the rabbit hole I went for, for this, I'm sorry, I didn't do more research. There was nothing in particular, but it just struck me as you make this now politics is in the conversation for a hot sec. Like 
this is a social issue. This isn't just an issue right. of charity. Like, well, this was explicit. I mean, we were talking about this a little bit earlier, but this book was explicitly written like as a social justice issue. Dickens went to the went to a workhouse. He went to where the poverty stricken people were, and he was so overcome with it. He wrote this book as like a call to arms. And I think that's really obvious. And I was thinking, because we actually watched Muppet Christmas Carol with Alex, who kind of wandered off except for the songs. But like people who are super rich and super conservative, how do they like have the cognitive dissonance of watching this movie? Because this movie is all about like, if you have wealth, you have a, you are obligated to share it and to help people. And that's what good people do. And I'm just like, how does, you know, Mitch McConnell watch this with his grandkids well, here's and deal thing. with that? How do you reconcile holding those views. I don't understand. The the book advocates for private charity. Yeah. It it never brings up government intervention. It's not like socialism, right? It's (laughs) not like socialism, but it is like, you should, if you have a lot of money, you should give some of it away and help people. That's true. But I mean, but that's what Republicans are like, oh, we shouldn't have, um, you know, national we shouldn't have Medicaid. That should be all private charity. And it's yeah, like, but they do also don't get, they don't give to charity either because yeah, they, they just don't. say that's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Then it's everybody's prerogative and nobody does it where they only do it to like people who look like them and believe the same things as them. Yeah, exactly. So, right. um, but the passage you read, I, cause I had never read a Christmas Carol before that I can remember came like, I, I had no idea it was coming. I never knew it was in the book. I was just like, damn, like he is doing some real stuff here. Yeah. Like he's really getting into like ignorance and want these like emaciated children like that. And then ignorance being the doom of humanity. I was like, yes, snaps, Dickens. <laughs> this is good stuff. This is like uh, this is like uh, college paper stuff here. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's great. It was like a bolt of lightning because I'd never come across that before. We can talk about the narrator too, in that one of our other friends, uh, Seamus mentioned that a Christmas Carol is the best adaptation, you know, the Muppet Christmas Carol is the best adaptation because it recognizes that Charles Dickens is the most interesting character or what he said. This book is very funny. It's several times. The narrator is very funny. I will also say that I was shocked that like Scrooge is really funny. Yeah. <laughs> my favorite, one of my favorite things that uh, it's, it's, I think it's with when the ghost of Christmas present like shows up and wakes him up. It might be Jacob though. I can't remember, but he's basically like, why are you here? And they're like, for your like well being. And he thinks to himself, he's like, well, I think that extra sleep probably would have served me better for that. And I like laughed out loud. I thought that was so funny because that's <laughs> real. You're like, well, you know what? I think the best thing for me would, if you just let me get some goddamn sleep. Um, <laughs> because that's relatable. <laughs> Highly relatable. But you don't usually see Scrooge as like kind of a funny, sarcastic character. He's just always like, bah, humbug. You know, he's just like mean. He doesn't have that like funny aspect. Yeah. Uh, so I appreciated that. I thought that was really fun. And the narrator is hilarious. And just really surprising in a lot of ways. He'll He'll do a lot of asides about like, I think this, I think mm-hmm. that. If you know a man as blessed in the facility of laughter as Scrooge's nephew, Fred, introduce him to me. I yes. want to cultivate his acquaintance. 
Yes. Uh, and even the first, the first passage kind of shows you what you're in for. I, I love the, the first passage of a Christmas Carol so much that I actually did a reading of it one time for my Instagram. Like you can do like a 60, like back when you could do a 60 second video before mm-hmm. reels. I, uh, I was like next to the Christmas tree and I was like, just brought it up and did a little video because I think it's so, it really lets you know what you're in for. And it's well, very Dickens. <laughs> let's just put, let's just say right off the bat, like Dickens is great at beginnings, right? Yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, look at a tale of two cities, like iconic, a one page, uh, like one page long first sentence with so many semicolons, but it's also like iconic. And to me, sitting down and starting this book, I got to the second paragraph and I think I even texted you. I was like, Kristen, this book is hilarious. <laughs> like it was so good. This first page is so good. All right, I'll let you read some of it. It's very good. Marley was dead to begin with. There is no doubt whatever about that. The register of his burial was signed by the clergyman, the clerk, the undertaker, and the chief mourner. Scrooge signed it, and Scrooge's name was good upon the change for anything he chose to put his hand to. Old Marley was as dead as a doornail. Mind, I don't mean to say that I know of my own knowledge what there is particularly dead about a doornail. I might have been inclined myself to regard a coffin nail as the deadest piece of ironmongery in the trade. But the wisdom of our ancestors is in the simile, and my unhallowed hands shall not disturb it. The country's done for. You will therefore permit me to repeat emphatically that Marley was as dead as a doornail. Can you say again the part about the simile? Because I loved that. Yeah. The simile is in the tradition. Is that what he said? The wisdom of our ancestors is in the simile. And my unhallowed hands shall not disturb it or the country's done for. I loved that line. I thought it was amazing. (laughs) It's just so good. And then again, like in A Muppet Christmas Carol, you get Gonzo and Rizzo who are like very funny. And there's all this kind of like physical comedy. But I feel like it slots in really nicely with this tone that the narrator has in the book itself. It's almost like, you know, we talk about Austin's narrators, especially in something like Northanger Abbey, having that kind of like, um, I mean, open satirical wit. And I feel like we get that here too. It's just funny. It is, it is funny. And it's, a, it's very thoughtful about language also. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of funny also how he anthropomorphizes non-human things. Mm-hmm. Like I have some uh, highlighted passages of just like cool writing where one of them is like uh, the ancient tower of a church whose gruff old bell was always peeping slyly down at Scrooge out of a Gothic window in the wall became invisible and struck the hours and quarters in the clouds with tremulous vibrations afterwards as if its teeth were chattering in its frozen head up there. And then the water plug being left in solitude it's overflowing, sullenly congealed and turned to misanthropic ice. And he's talking Whoa. about how cold it is. And it generally, it genuinely made me feel kind of cold reading yeah. it. And I also thought when, you know, when you're watching the movie, it's so cool when you've just read the book because they have a lot of lines and mm-hmm. songs that actually correspond to what it says in the book. Like in the book, Scrooge makes his own cold. And then there's a line in in the um, one of the songs about how he's like cold and getting colder or something like that. And I'm like, aha, aha. Someone was referencing the tech. Like, this is cool. This is so cool. Yeah. Um, if I have one 
criticism before we get into more things that we like, because I have more things to talk about that I liked of the book, but just one criticism. I thought the ending was very sudden. I wanted like in, in all the adaptations, you usually get like a longer sequence of him like going out and being with people in Muppet Christmas Carol. There's a whole song and he goes around and he gives everyone gifts and it's a montage. And then he shows up at the Cratchit's house and they offer a big meal together it's really nice. In the book, it was only like three pages. It felt like it felt very suddenly over to me. And I kind of just wanted more of like the good feeling at the end. I will say I also highlighted a part that they do include in A Muppet Christmas Carol, but I don't see it in a lot of adaptations. And I think that it's probably one of the more important things to kind of drive home the, the structure, like why the book is structured the way it is. Scrooge is convincing the, we say ghost of Christmas future, but I think they say ghost of Christmas yet to come. But he says, I will honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year. I will live in the past, the present, and the future. The spirits of all three shall strive within me. And I was, I had like a total aha moment when I was reading that because it's not just like, oh, this, you know, three act structure is fun. Past, present, future makes sense. It's like, like, these are the lessons we're teaching you. You have to live your life in all, with all three of these things in mind. You have to know where you came from. You have to know where you are and you have to live like you don't know what's coming and try to make a good outcome to be a good person. And I just, I thought that was really great. I would definitely agree. A lot of that language really kind of ties it all up nicely. And the the language at the end is very stirring. I, I definitely was emotional. And I love how the adaptation and the book, it's really in the book where he's like talking to himself, like he's like, you boy, that they sell the prize turkey. And then the guys, the lad. A brilliant the, lad, like, yeah, a genius lad. <laughs> it's so good. And, and in A Muppet Christmas Carol, it's that adorable little bunny that was yeah. like shivering outside. And there's even like a really nice moment with that little side character. Yeah, um, but, I don't know. But yeah, Scrooge is right. like an intelligent boy. Yeah. A remarkable boy. I'm so glad I talked to you. <laughs> it's a pleasure talking to you. It's hilarious. And it's so funny. And the language at the end is just very stirring. Uh, as I was said of him that he, if any man knew how to keep Christmas, it was he. And, and, uh, oh, um, uh, I love there's, there's a part two. Oh, I didn't um, highlight it, but I should have. Um, but where Scrooge, he's like, it's Christmas morning. I didn't miss it. You know, and he's looking around his room and everything's there and he's so excited and he goes, ha ha ha. And it says like, it was a great laugh. It was the fault. Oh, I have to look it up, Kristen. It's so good. Give me a minute. Sorry. You're going to have to edit this. I just love that part so much. I'm going to read a little bit if that's okay. Sure. So Scrooge is, you know, he's Christmas morning. He's looking around his house. He's so excited to be alive. He's full of Christmas spirit. There's the saucepan that the gruel was in, cried Scrooge, starting off again and going round the fireplace. There's the door by which the ghost of Jacob Marley entered. There's the corner where the ghost of Christmas present sat. There's the window where I saw the wandering spirits. It's all right. It's all true. It all happened. Ha ha ha. Really, for a man who had been out of practice for so many years, it was a splendid laugh, a most illustrious laugh, the father of a long, long line of brilliant laughs. And that line right there, the father of a long, long line of brilliant laughs. We're not even at the end of the book yet, but I already know everything is going to be okay. (laughs) That future is not coming to pass. Scrooge is going to live 
for a long time and be a happy person. And I just love it. The father of a long, long line of brilliant laughs. He will spend his life now happy and laughing. And it just made me so happy as a reader when I read that part. It's a great, great moment. And, um, you know, I will say too, that it, it, it's so great also because you really were bummed and scared. And I mean, that scene where they're like, his blankets are still warm, right? I don't pay extra yeah. for the warmth, you know? Like, and also I cried. I mean, I cried multiple, I anytime cried, with yeah. tiny Tim reading this, I cried. I mean, I have a young son. Um, that kind of stuff is very raw for me. Anything with like kids in peril, kids dying. Um, I cried when they see him in the house. And then like, this is not an adaptations either, but in the book, tiny Tim has literally just died. Like Bob Cratchit goes upstairs and kisses his little face. Like he has just died. And I was not expecting that. And I had to reread it to make sure I was understanding what was happening. It's very sad. It is sad. I definitely, I definitely got teary eyed as well. And you know, but Dickens is also genuinely trying to scare us. There's a passage mm-hmm. that I highlighted that I was just so blown away by. It's really a ghost story. And, and at this time, so the Wikipedia page also said, right, that at this time, like Christmas traditions were being revived. People were getting right. more into them. People were like valuing it more. And the tradition of ghost stories at Christmas was still like, a, it was a, also a thing that was like embraced, which mm-hmm. we don't have anymore and is pretty wild. But there's but one that passage. it makes sense though. That's why you have that song, um, the Christmas ghost song. Stories, so yeah, yeah, of the of Chris- Yeah, and I, people are like, "Who tells ghost stories?" And it's like, I "Y'all, come on." Thought it was just a conflation of Halloween with it all. I was like, "That's kind of a bad lyric." And now it makes so much more sense. But this is the passage that I just had to highlight. So. The curtains of his bed were drawn aside and Scrooge, starting up into a half recumbent attitude, found himself face to face with the unearthly visitor who drew them as close to it as I am now to you. And I am standing in the spirit at your elbow. Like, wait, what? Ma? (laughs) Charles Dickens is at my elbow? (laughs) But it's like Charles Dickens, like Rizzo would say. (laughs) Oh, you're Charles Dickens. The Gonzo version at my elbow. But it did. I did have a moment of like, you know, Um, Um, so kind of going what you were saying about the Christmas traditions. um, I was talking again, like right before we recorded with Kristen about a film I watched that she'd never heard of that I will recommend to everyone now. It's called The Man Who Invented Christmas. It is a 2017 film starring a uh, friend of the pod, Dan Stevens, uh, <laughs> who you'll know from Downton Abbey, of course. But it is about Charles Dickens writing A Christmas Carol. And he was, you know, starting to get in desperate straits for money. He needed like a blockbuster idea. And one of the things I love about it, you know, I'm not going to give too many spoilers, although you guys do know how it ends. Like <laughs> he writes A Christmas Carol. Um <laughs> He is, it really lets you into his mindset as a writer because you see him like in his office writing, pacing around, talking to himself, trying to find the perfect way of saying things. And my favorite sequence is when he's trying to figure out what to call Ebenezer Scrooge. And he goes through all of these names. He's trying things, nothing works, nothing works. And then finally he goes, Scrooge. And he turns around And there, in full Ebenezer Scrooge regalia, big hat, is Sir Christopher Plummer (laughs) as the character 
that Dickens has just invented in his mind as Scrooge. And while he is writing the book and figuring out what will happen, he talks to Scrooge as Christopher Plummer and they like work through it together. And it is a delight. I mean, I just love Christopher Plummer anyway. And, but it's a delight. It's really good. You know, it's not like it didn't win any Oscars, but I think it's a great holiday film to watch, you know, on a yearly basis. Like I watched it with my mom. Uh, it had a limited release. It only was in 500 theaters back in 2017. So it was almost direct to uh, DVD at that point, but I'm sure it's streaming somewhere. So I highly recommend. It's really fun. It's really good. Put it on your list. <laughs> yeah, I definitely will. Always nice to see Dan Stevens. Yeah, he looks good in it too. Oh, nice. <laughs> you know, another thing I'll say about, you know, we can talk about women a little bit. There are not many that are much represented in this novel, but um, Dickens has a quite a playful tone when he does talk about the women like Fred's wife, or he says, these women, they're so in earnest, they never do anything by halves. Or he's talking about women walking around in a glow. And he's like, they knew what they were doing, the artful witches. Um, yeah, in a, in a fun oh, like the young girls that are like, there's like a giggly group of teenagers who are going into a party Yes, but there is one passage, the very first time I read this novel, it struck me so hard that I've remembered the lines in it ever since because it's so beautiful and so beautifully expressed. And it's just Charles Dickens writing like from the narrator's perspective. There's no reason for it. Like it doesn't move the story forward, but it's when it's talking about Belle's daughter and her children. Oh, can I provide a little context first? Um, just in case someone hasn't read it. There, so there's a scene that is usually not in the adaptations where we actually see Belle um, as an older woman surrounded by her family, happy. Like she has a happy life when she dumps Scrooge. Um, so she's doing great. And so she has this great family and everyone's having a great time. Okay. So this passage is the young mother uh, is playing with the kids and she's beginning to mingle in their sports and she gets pillaged by the young brigands most ruthlessly. What would I not have given to be one of them? Though I never could have been so rude. No, no, I wouldn't for the wealth of all the world have crushed that braided hair and torn it down. And for the precious little shoe, I wouldn't have plucked it off. God bless my soul to save my life. As to measuring her waist in sport as they did, bold young brood, I couldn't have done it. I should have expected my arm to have grown round it for a punishment and never come straight again. And yet I should have dearly liked, I own, to have touched her lips, to have questioned her that she might have opened to them, to have looked upon the lashes of her downcast eyes and never raised a blush, to have let loose waves of hair, an inch of which would have been a keepsake beyond price. In short, I should have liked, I do confess, to have had the lightest license of a child and yet to have been man enough to know its value. But like the lightest license of a child and yet be man enough to know its value is like, I don't know. That's just really, well, especially in that time, like you weren't allowed to casually touch people. Yeah. You're not just going to like touch a woman's face and see her eyelashes and like, but that's the thing you do to like your loved one. Like you can just, you have that license and that's so valuable. And I guess I've never heard it expressed that way before. I think the narrator is like very affectionate towards the women in the few female characters there are. I mean, they, they he talks about Scrooge's sister being great. 
Um, oh, and there's a moment in the book that is so great too, where, you know, they talk about how great his sister is and, and the, the spirit is basically like, makes you appreciate her nephew, doesn't it? And Scrooge is like, oh yeah. It's like, yes, you dumb buck. Like the (laughs) nephew is the piece of your sister that you have left. And it was just like, you don't usually see that kind of revelation occur in any of the adaptations. So I really loved that. Um, Like maybe you should appreciate Fred being so wonderful because he's like your sister and he's a piece of her. But that, so we have his sister and then the narrator is very fond of, you know, this young woman in that scene, also Freddie's wife and the like, what is it like the plump half sister or something like that in the party. That was so cute. There, you know, uh, uh, Freddie and um, uh, Freddie and Esther are having their big Christmas party and everyone's running around playing games. And one of their guests is like very clearly flirting with and pursuing another girl um, at the party. And it's just very cute the way the narrator keeps talking about how, you know, they just happen to be behind the drapes for five minutes and nobody noticed. And it's just very affectionate. There's a lot of warmth uh, towards the female characters. And even with Belle later, when we see Belle, you know, being married and happy, there's a lot of warmth for those characters. I have the passage highlighted because they're playing blind man's bluff, which is referenced several times in this book. And must've mm-hmm. been like, I don't know, a new the game. game. Like, yeah. But it's kind of a risky. I mean, like you get to grab somebody, right? Like, like in the Mansfield park adaptation where she's like, it's Dave. Right. And then like Edmund, Edmund grabs Fanny and, and he's like feeling up her kind of like bosom area. Um, I think that we also see a version of that game in um, the Tim Burton movie, Sleepy Hollow, when he arrives at their party, uh, Christina Ricci's character. I think they're playing that where she is like in the middle of the circle and she goes up to someone and she just has to guess who it is by feeling them. Um, I have not seen that. Oh, Kristen. It's good. Just, I was just about to bring up the miniseries, The Buccaneers, because I feel like there's some nonsense mm-hmm. that goes on there as well. Hold on, my dog is being like very... Bingley, hey, you're supposed to be friendly. You need to be quiet. Speaking okay. of Bingley, uh, Bay actually asked me if the actor who played Freddy in A Muppet Christmas Carol had ever played Bingley, because he's like, he just has Bingley energy. And Freddy definitely has Bingley energy. <laughs> I had so I have it highlighted. So the this guy Topper keeps catching the plump sister at Blind Man's Bluff. She often cried out that it wasn't fair, and it really was not. But when at last he caught her, when in spite of all her silken rustlings and her rapid flutterings past him, he got her into a corner whence there was no escape. Then his conduct was the most execrable (laughs) for his pretending not to know her, his pretending it was necessary to touch her headdress and further to assure himself of her identity by pressing a certain ring upon her finger and a certain chain about her neck was vile, monstrous. No doubt she told him her opinion of it. When another blind man being in office, they were so very confidential together behind the curtains. It's so cute. I it is cute. It made me, so it made me smile the whole time. And then I love too, because Scrooge is really into it. He is like watching all the games. He's laughing. He's having a great time. It actually also reminds me of in Scrooge with Bill Murray when they're playing Trivial Pursuit and he like gets really into it and is shouting out the answers. But then when later at the end, when Scrooge comes, he's like, Freddie, I've come to dinner. And he like just joins the party and stays all night and has a great time. I think it's so nice how they're excited to see him too. Like, yeah, they like sit around and talk a lot of shit about him, but then they're delighted when he actually shows up. Yeah. See if you're a misanthrope, 
people will embrace you when you yeah, come back. Yeah, we want to see you. Yeah, yeah. Don't give them that chance to talk shit about you. See, this is you now just be my, there. This is now my strategy. Go to every family event and be right there watching and listening. They can't talk they about say. you behind they can't your talk back shit about if you're looking in their face. <laughs> right? I keep, I keep bringing this up. Well, I I so I recently revisited that famous piece that was in the Opinionator and the New York Times Opinionator blog, the one where he ta- where the author talks about the mortifying o- ordeal of being known. Do you know this one? It, it's just this blog post where the author, I, I can look up his name, but he's talking about he was somebody accidentally, one of his friends accidentally included him on an email talking shit about him to all their Ooh. friends. Um, <laughs> that person must have felt so bad. Um, it oh was, my God. It I wasn't would... actually the worst thing in the world. He had hired some goats to eat his grass and she forwarded the email to all of their mutual friends and accidentally included him. But she was like, oof. Uh, and then started talking about his financial situation and like how he couldn't afford this. And why was he doing this? And can you believe, you know, like his, te- he's terrible with money. Which kind of just shows, you know, I that concern. Concerned yeah, it's more concerned. Yeah, but it's still not a thing you really need to hear. But he's talking about like, look, all your friends constantly talk shit about you, just like you do about them. And because the people we love drive us crazy, you know, like this is just normal. Yet when we actually learn someone has said something negative about us, we're betrayed. Judas, how could you? You just assume that you're immune to this and everybody, but yet you're doing it about everybody else. And, and it's, it's talking about like, if you want, this is the line, if you want the rewards of being loved, you have to endure the mortifying ordeal of being known basically. So we have to understand this is happening. Like we're, we're not, we're not perfect. And so like, but that's the redemption. It's kind of like an Emma, right? Like that's the redemption. Like we can go back into the fold, (laughs) you know, like they love us despite our faults. Uh, because of our faults sometimes, you know? Well, Kristen, how would Mr. Bennett say? What do we live for? But to make sport of our neighbors and make sport for our neighbors and laugh at them in our turn. That's That's right. That's right. That guy basically just stole Jane Austen. I'm just saying. Yeah, pretty much. He wrote a whole op-ed about like something that Jane Austen said in one sentence. (laughs) Jane Austen could have just saved us all a lot of time and opinionator pieces. If y'all would just read Pride and Prejudice, I'm just saying. All the wisdom of the world is in that book. Absolutely. (laughs) But this, I mean, I don't know. I just really enjoyed reading this, even though I was like crying, but I was also laughing. And Tiny Tim, who does not die... (laughs) Oh, also, a, well. also a quote from the book. <laughs> yeah. And it wasn't in the first draft of the book that said the Wikipedia page, like people needed to know they need like explicitly. Validation. I need to yes. know. Yeah. Does Tiny Tim live? Who does not die? That's right. That God's delivery. <laughs> it's and it's there. funny because that's I've seen that movie so many times in my head. It's just and Tiny Tim who does not die. Not die. And <laughs> when you're reading it, it's just and Tiny Tim who does not die. And I was like, no, 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 no. That does not have the same impact, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna need you to make that like all caps. Not. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and don't you just hear Rizzo in your head? Oh, in that. Oh, in that. <laughs> My favorite, actually, my favorite line from that movie is light the lamp, not the rat. 
Light the lamp, not the rat. Light, light the, the lamp, lamp not the, the rat. And also another, so now this is just me talking about why I love this movie. There's a great gag at the very end when they, Scrooge wakes up in his bedroom, Gonzo and Rizzo are like on the ledge outside <laughs> looking in the window and they're like, what's he doing? I can't see. And then Scrooge takes that moment to throw open the window panes and look out at the city and you just see the Muppets fly off the let the puppets like fly off the ledge into the snow. It's genius. It's genius. The- it's a laugh that you want right there because you're happy. You're yeah, just, you're happy. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a perfect moment of like joy when you're already happy. And then this like ridiculous joke and you're like, <laughs> oh, cracking up. I have always enjoyed, if we're going to talk about our like favorite movie lines, I've always loved Sam the Eagle as a character in the Muppets. And when he plays um, young Scrooge's headmaster. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, headmaster. <laughs> headma- headmaster. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good read. That's just like the kid says it. <laughs> but he's like, you will love business. It is the American way. And yeah, like, it is the British way. <laughs> it is the British way. <laughs> oh, um, gags like that. Just so like, they had to remind me that there's, I mean, I was saying like, you know, I really like that scene, but that song really slows down the action of the movie. And they was like, what are you talking about? There's no song. And it's because I realized on the soundtrack, they have several songs that were cut. From the movie. So Sam the Eagle actually has a song. No way. Uh, yeah. Um, and then Beaker and oh, what is Beaker's? I always forget his name. What's the other guy's Bunsen, name? Bunsen. Yeah, Bunsen and Beaker actually have a song about like charity and the importance oh, of really? giving to others. Yeah. And oh, I totally God. understand why these things were cut because they kind of like slow momentum. Yeah. And then obviously, very famously, Bell's song about love being lost is cut from a lot of the um, newer versions of it. It actually exists on my old VHS, which I watched for years and years and years and years. And it's on the soundtrack. So that's why I always know it, but it's called when it's called when love is gone and it gets reprised at the very end of the movie. When, when love is found, when love is found. And if you hadn't, hadn't heard when love is lost, you'd be like, Oh, this is just a new song. It's not. It's a it's a reprise of That's the earlier exactly song. That's exactly what I was going to bring up. That moment always seemed so weird to me because I had never seen that seen the version that contains "When Love Is Gone" the song, mm. and then they they go into this when the love we found or whatever, and, yeah. and it's like, wait, this is a weird beat. I feel like I'm supposed yeah. to know it. You are. Um, I don't know why it was removed. Like it because it was in the original theatrical cut. It's on my VHS I that I, I had. Heard that they thought ki- the kids would be bored. Yeah, it's like it does. You know, again, slow slows down the it's action. A but song. but Disney just announced that they are restoring it for the streaming Disney oh, Plus good. version. I, I don't think it happened yet because we just no, watched it. Because we just watched um, it. Too. Yeah, I don't think. It but it's also yet. on my DVD now. I will say on my DVD, you have the option to select original theater version or you can do like a is it letterbox is that what they call yeah, it letterbox if you yeah. do the original theater version the song is in there oh wow yeah it's an it's a really nice song i think it's a beautiful song if you were a kid you'd be like oh i'm dying <laughs> um but i think it's very poignant boring this is more of a family movie at she time. said what is the line in it that's really good i'll we'll have to edit this again we're doing like this he's like i love you bell and she's like you did once yeah that's the way there was a time when I was sure. Yeah, it's so good. That you and I were truly one. That our future was forever. Yeah. Okay. So you can sing it. Sing the, the line. 
But we came so close to being close, and though you cared for me, there's distance in your eyes tonight, so we're not meant to be. That was not very good. Sorry, everyone. And then it goes, the love is gone. The love is gone. The sweetest dream that we have ever known. I wish you well, but I must leave you now alone. The line that I really like is, and yes, some dreams come to, oh, sorry, sorry here. It was almost love. It was almost always. It was like a fairy tale. We'd live out you and I. And yes, some dreams come true. And yes, some dreams fall through. And I always really liked that some dreams come true, but some dreams fall through. Cause it feels like a very real adult way of looking at things, you know, like these things don't always work out. Yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't, I mean, Scrooge, like, it's not like he gets to go back in time and be right. with, with her again. That doesn't right. happen. He is still an older man who is alone, but you know, he has, he makes it, Oh my God, this is why I love a Christmas Carol so much. It's a found family. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's, he's like, they he's say so- like every, every, man is his brother. Every child becomes his niece and nephew. You know, he just like creates a found family. Ah, that's why I love it. (laughs) I I completely agree with you. I would call it definitely a found family. I mean, in the movie and in the book where he's like, I'm going to, I'm going to sponsor your family, Bob, or whatever he says, Mm -hmm. like, you know, I'm going to raise your salary. We need to get your kids educated or whatever he says. He's like invested in Bob's family now, which is just so sweet having seen that window into his life. And I love, by the way, that the book also contains the little joke where he's like pretending to be mad. Yeah, except (laughs) it's the day after Christmas. He doesn't actually go to see the Cratchits on Christmas day. He sends them the giant turkey and he spends the day with Freddie at the party. And then the next day when Bob comes into work, like 15, 18 minutes late, that's right. He's like, come in here. And he's like, ah, this is not stand. Like, and I was like, and for that reason, I shall have to raise your salary. And then she says, and I'll have to raise you off the pavement. Right off the pavement. It's so good. That's a great line. Oh my gosh. So good. Uh, what? And then she's like, what, wait, what? Yeah, but I loved that that was actually from the book. It was so funny that like Scrooge, like so I'm saying he's funny. Yeah, he likes joking around, it turns out. Like once he gets some levity in his life. The other moment in the book that really struck with struck me and stuck with me when Belle, when the narrator, right, first begins to talk about Belle, she's married to someone else, obviously. And the guy comes home. And says to Belle, guess who I saw today? I just saw an old friend of yours. And, and, and he's like, guess who it was? And she's like, how should I know? And then in the next breath, she says, Ebenezer Scrooge. Like she already knows, like, and it's a, it's a point, you know, it's a point of nostalgia. It's a point of like a little bit of consciousness, I guess, of he's still out there in the world, this man I loved. And yeah, well, you never forget. Yeah. I kind of liked that, that it was in there. I think you always have, when you get older, there's always a sense of like what would have happened. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like you can be perfect. Like I am completely happy in my life. Right. I have absolutely no regrets with anything, but like, you always think like, well, what, what what if X, Y, Z had happened instead? Yeah. Or you think of like people that you knew before fondly or not, but you still think of them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's kind of all I had. Did you have any other highlighted passages? That you um, I had a couple of things, but not really anything important. I will just say that I thought the book, it, I never really understood the way that time works in any of the movies because they always are like, expect the first ghost 
at 12 and then the next at one. And so it all is supposed to take place in one night. And you're like, but how can they be like Christmas day? If this is supposed to be the ghost of Christmas present, like, why am I, isn't this the future? Like, because now it's Christmas day. This always bothered me. The ghost of Christmas present actually is in the movies takes him to the future because it's daytime. Yeah. And I'm like, but you know, it's one in the morning on Christmas Eve. Like no one's out partying. Like, how is this all happening? And in the book, he's actually like, Jacob Marley says, the ghost will come at, you know, one tonight. And then the next night, yeah, the ghost will come. And then the night after the next get ghost. And so screw like he sleeps the whole time and he wakes up and he's like, oh, did I sleep through an entire day? And like time is still compressed. It's still timey-wimey. But Jacob Marley explicitly says like, this will be three separate days. Yeah. And I actually appreciated that because it's always bothered me that it's actually all taking place on Christmas Eve. So how is it the ghost of Christmas present? I don't know. I like, that's what bothered me about, right? (laughs) Especially in Muppet Christmas Carol. It's like, Margaret, there are Muppets. Like, why is this the thing? (laughs) Yeah. My mom used to always complain, like in the little mermaid, like flounder shouldn't be able to talk outside of the water or some weird, Mm. like internal logic and i just turned to her one day and i was like yeah and i heard mermaids aren't even real and then she laughed so hard she <laughs> cried like it's like <laughs> we gotta get some perspective here. yeah yeah <laughs> but this is kind of the thing too with a lot of fantasy if you don't have clear world building and clear rules your audience will not accept if your audience can't accept the small things how do you expect them to accept the big things. So having the spirits be like, clearly, you know, this is taking place on three different days, even though he doesn't miss Christmas. Like, obviously there's a lot of time weird stuff, but like for me, it just locked it in and made me just able to go on the ride. I wasn't distracted thinking about like, well, now how does time work? You know, I wasn't like, but it's one in the morning. How are, how is this happening? That it it wasn't an issue. Well, good. Um, Yeah. So that's all I had. I think. I think yeah. I mean, this is not, this is a novella. It doesn't need to be a three yeah. hour long. Episode. You <laughs> should definitely play understand. the song at the end of the episode for people though, Kristen. Which one? The love is gone yeah, song. It's really in. pretty. Yeah, for sure. There is a like pop version that plays over the end credits of the oh. film as well. I want to say it's like Trisha Yearwood or someone like that. Wow. What song would you like me to put at the beginning? Oh, there's only one obvious choice, I think. Marley, Marley. It's in the singing of a street okay. corner choir. <laughs> it's going home and getting warm by the fire. Yes, it's true. Yeah, it's so good. Um, I also really like One More Sleep Till Christmas. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think that's a great song. And then Tiny Tim's song, I Cry Every Time. He has a little song yeah. um, about, you know, God bless us, everyone, of course. Um. We reach to you. That's right. And we feel tall. And I'm like, oh my God. That one always does make me cry. Man, I've been crying. God bless us one and all. Yeah. Ah, so good. I I went, as you know, I stayed out last late last night and I just got all messed up. And so today I was like all tired and like weirdly weepy. And like I read a romance novel in a couple hours this morning. I just realized what's happening. Like your period's gonna start soon, girl. That's what's going on. That's why you feel like this. It's hormonal. You're actually a genius. Yeah, like, that's what it is. Oh my God. 
Well, you were talking about it earlier before we got out. She was like, oh, I just felt so blah. I don't want to do anything. And now you're saying this. I'm like, yes, that's what's happening. It's your hormones. You know, my God. But yeah, I I read a romance novel. It was so good. I read it this morning, but man, I wept like multiple points. It wasn't sad. It was just like like good weeping. Yeah. This is such a beautiful romantic gesture on his part, you know, like, oh, well, and I was like crying. And now I'm watching house. So Kevin's out of town. And so I've just been binging all day long, binging house and like laying on the couch. My whole plan for this weekend was to clean the entire house. And instead, <laughs> I just sat on the couch, but like every single episode I'm crying at house. I'm like, I didn't make put too much together, but you're absolutely yeah. right. How I'm glad I could help you out with that. <laughs> no, like it's real, especially as I get older and, you know, having been pregnant, like the hormone thing is really real. I never really had PMS or anything like that. But um, yeah, it's just real. And your emotions are all over the place. Yeah. So, so now you know why. Just go with it. It's fine. <laughs> just roll with it. Just roll with it. It's natural. Just oh, let yourself dogs, feel what you're feeling. You don't have to dogs worry. Dogs have been cuddling me all day long. Like, oh, like that's a day so off. Nice. That's so nice. But yeah. Kristen, big news. You went to a ball last night. I did. I went to the Oregon Regency Society Winter Ball. It was incredible. They put on such an amazing evening. We have a really cool chateau that someone built. It's like built in modern times, right? But it it looks extremely authentic and kind of like Georgian era. And so when you go in it, you know, it's got all these like, I don't know, sconces with with candles and everything. And so, and then they they had gambling. So we played speculation. I played speculation for the first time. It's very fun. And then they had the English country dances. So we got to do that. And I if you've never tried it before, it's it's actually much harder. It looks hard and it's actually it is very much harder hard. than it even looks. And so I was getting quite flustered. So after the first one, I was like so embarrassed. I was making so many mistakes. I just sat out and watched. But then the very last one, one of my friends who I went with was like, okay, we have to do this. And it turned out to be the one, it was so fun. It's the one where they, one couple makes an arch mm-hmm. as part of the dance and everyone else runs through. And um, it was just a black, like that one, I was smiling. I just couldn't stop smiling. It was so much fun. Like when you get it right, those dances are incredibly fun to do. And it's fun to be like, yes, yes, I'm getting it right. I'm getting it right. Look at me. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Uh, So how this came about was I had seen this event advertised and I was like, I don't have any friends in Portland really. I mean, I do, but like not ones that I'd be comfortable being like, hey, go to a Regency ball with me. Yeah. Like, hey, let's dress up and go, girl. Then I took, I think this was your advice back in the day when you sent me that there was a meetup group, a Jane Austen book club Mm -hmm. in Portland. And so they had an opening and I joined the book club and it went great. They don't just read Jane Austen. The book they read was Song of Achilles, which Mm. I had read and loved and just, I was so excited to talk about. So by the end of that one book club, everyone was like, okay, you know, like they were like, let's go out. You know, like people were like contacting me on Facebook and like friending me. And so I was like, yay. Okay. I I've made a good impression. And so then one of them asked everybody, Hey, are you going to this thing? And I was like, am I brave enough? And then I was like, yes, I will go with everybody. And we had such a blast. Like it's hard for me, you know, like I had only met these folks like one time, but it was so much fun. And like, everyone was so nice. And 
my, my dress that I had made for Jasna in 2019 did not fit anymore. And so, that's relatable content, Kristen. <laughs> it's highly relatable. This is a post-COVID world. We are yeah, all like 20 <laughs> to 30 pounds heavier, girlfriend. Do not yeah, worry. It's like not even close. So then I, I wound up buying one online and it actually turned out looking pretty it looked legit. gorgeous. You shared some photos that looked amazing. Yeah, they, it, and one of the gals actually did my hair. I do not know how to do the my hair. The hair was beautiful. And she did my hair and she was so good at it. And so, yeah, it turned out so good. Like it was just such a blast. And so, yeah. Well, do any of your new friends listen to the podcast now? Did you tell them about the podcast? No, I did not tell them about the podcast. I did not tell them about my Twitter account. I think I'm just going to not cross the streams. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and just what if they're IRL just emailing friends? each other, talking shit about you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And they copy you accidentally. I don't know. I don't know. I've said no, they sound lovely. That's so great. That's so, so great. I'm so glad you had such a good time and like made some new friends with people who love Jane Austen too. Thank you. And like, and as you know, I've said some very personal stuff that I don't care about complete strangers knowing about, and I don't care about my best friends knowing about, but like might not want to share yeah. it with your new friends. And like, I was freaking out. Like, like we were talking about yesterday, our podcast was mentioned briefly in that Rut- Rutledge's Companion to Jane Austen. This book came out in 2021. It was just called Rutledge's Companion to Jane Austen. It's all these essays about Jane Austen fandom. And one of our episodes is actually mentioned in it. And in the episode directly before that, I was talking about being bipolar. And I was like, oh, shit. You know, like, Wow. I'm glad they didn't decide to talk about that in this essay. Well, but they I mean, that well wouldn't be have. pertinent to like the reasoning for, for yeah, the reason well, of what the they essay. were talking yeah. about wouldn't have been pertinent, but someone else could have done like an essay about like, I don't know, mentally ill people. And the way <laughs> mentally ill people doing podcasts about Jane Austen. That's like perfect. <laughs> no, I would just look at it this way. Um, any kind of like negative reaction there might be from something like that, I think is vastly outweighed by the positive reaction of you being so open and honest and discussing it. And for people who might be going through the same thing or know people who are going through the same thing, or even just helping to end the stigma against it as it has so much positive impact that I would hope that it would be worth some like randos who, I mean, who cares? Who cares? I know. Yeah. Who cares? Right. It always seems like life or death when it's you, but nobody else cares. Like, yeah. This is, yeah. I am sure that I have said things on this podcast that I would be horrified to yeah. be reminded of, <laughs> but it's too. cool because I go into a fugue state when we record and I don't remember anything. So then when <laughs> I listen to the episode later, I'm like, oh, ha, 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 this is so good. Like these episodes are so funny because I literally don't remember <laughs> being there. <laughs> You're like, oh, Margaret, really insightful point. <laughs> Although usually it's like, oh, Kristen, really insightful point. Margaret, oh man, these jokes are not landing. I don't often go back and listen to the podcast, but you know which one I do listen to is the one where we did the 1940 Laurence Olivier Pride mm, and Prejudice, mm-hmm, and we mm-hmm. did the movie review. 
for whatever reason, that one is like very soothing to me. And like, I find I do not get bored with myself on that one. There are a lot of ones that I listen to and I'm like, have to turn it off. I'm like, just shut up. <laughs> I don't listen to a lot of our old episodes um, just because I'm, you know, I've got like so many other podcasts I listen to. I listen to them when they released just because I want to remind myself, like I said, I don't really remember what we said. I do have really, really fond memories and have listened to our original like Mansfield Park triplet episode, mostly because Kevin was on there. And (laughs) I thought we had such a blast recording it. And whenever he would get up and go to the bathroom, like Kevin and I would just have so much fun, like just riffing and joking with each other. It was really fun. (laughs) I had to cut all that stuff out. No, it was great. (laughs) One of them, we weren't recording from the good mic. We were recording from just my crappy laptop mic. And the sound is so bad on that one. And I can't listen to it just because I'm so mad at myself for making that mistake. Like I don't even know. The mic was selected on Audacity when I was recording it. But yeah, like for the most part, like the early ones are really fun to listen to. We were actually talking about the books. At one time, we actually did read the novel. I mean, we could do rereads now. We've been doing this podcast long enough. It's been like five years since we talked about since some we've of done them. one read one of those books. I and I would have read. to listen to those episodes to make sure I didn't say the same exact thing. Like it was a big revelation. Yeah, don't do that because <laughs> then that's all you'll think about when you mm-hmm. have to talk about it again. Is your yeah. previous points? No, if I don't listen to it, I will just make the same points. Hundred percent. You know what we could do? You know what we could do? Just like um, Reclaiming Jane or a lot of other podcasts now, they just like read like five chapters and just podcasts on that section of the book. So if we really wanted, I mean, that sounds like a hell of a commitment, but I mean, we don't really stretch it out. Yeah. I mean, like you could endlessly read these books and just do small chunks at a time. Yeah, Um, we could do that. Well, I wouldn't say to do that for every novel, but I mean, I know you love Mansfield Park and you've been tweeting like crazy. Oh yeah, sorry. um, About Mansfield. No, no, don't, sorry. But like maybe a deep dive like that in the Mansfield Park would really be fun for you. Yeah, yeah. If you read it line by line, I mean, there's just so much to unpack. Great. Every pair. Yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just teasing you. Yeah. So is there anything else exciting going on in your life that you want to share? Oh God, what else is going on in my life? Um, anything you're reading or watching? Or- we are finally all um, over our colds. It's just been, you know, it's like every same story everywhere else. Flu, RSV, colds. Everyone's healthy. Alex is just doing fantastic. We had a great weekend. He met Santa. He doesn't know who Santa is. Um, what are we watching? We are watching an amazing show on Netflix called The Empress. It is a German show, but it is about the Empress Elizabeth in the Austrian Hungarian empire. Who's married to Franz. This is like in the, uh, what is it? 1850s. I want to say it's fantastic. Um, what else are we watching? Andor loved it. Fantastic. My best writing in star Wars that there has been for decades. Highly recommend. We've just been watching a lot of new girls still because mm-hmm. we don't have a lot of time to watch stuff like during the day. And that's like a short, good thing for lunch. What have you been watching, Kristen? Yeah, um, just House, Below Deck. Mm. Um, and, oh, What We Do in the Shadows because we yes. we have a temporary Hulu subscription. It's oh, it's so good. But- it's also Reservation Dogs on Hulu is also amazing. It's also Taika Waititi producing. Highly, highly recommend, Kristen. Watch it. 
we do need to watch. That. Oh, and the bear, the bear on Hulu is really great. It's about a guy running a restaurant in Chicago, man. There's just all these this good, good stuff. This is good stuff. Kristen, write it down. I hope you're writing it down. I will keep it in my memory banks. Oh God. I you're am... never going to remember. I, I <laughs> no, you have an amazing memory. I am like shocked by your <laughs> recollection of specific lines of literature. <laughs> they just stick with me sometimes, but you know, I can barely remember what I had for breakfast most days. So <laughs> I hear that. Oh, I have one more recommendation. This is really fun. I haven't even finished it yet, but on Netflix, again, Netflix, there is a great documentary called Pepsi Where's My Jet, which is all about and how in the 1990s, Pepsi had this big promotion. You guys might remember this commercial if you're old enough, where they were like, oh, 350 Pepsi points, you get a hat, 700 Pepsi points, you get a pair of sunglasses. And then at the very end, this kid arrives to school in a jet and it's like 7 million Pepsi points, Harrier jet. And there was no disclaimer. There was nothing indicating that this was not real. And so this guy, like came this young, like 22 year old came with this big plan to get all the Pepsi points and get the Harrier jet. And he sent in for it and they were like, haha, very funny. And he's like, no, I'm not kidding. And it went into a lawsuit. Oh my and God. It's, just, it's a great documentary. It's really fun. There's lots of good nineties stuff in there. It's, it's just a really fun, like kind of, if you're into that, it's not, you know, it's not like a white collar true crime thing, but if you're into that kind of storytelling that I'm talking about, it's yeah, really fun. Yeah. It's really fun. I I would absolutely be into that. And um, I think Kevin would really like it, actually. I, I, we loved the McDonald's like Monopoly game. Yes, thing, it is you know. very much that type of energy. He would really, yeah, he would really like it. So I have to tell you about the romance novel I read today. It was recommended. Yes. Someone, someone tweeted about it this morning. I was in bed. I had just woken up. I pressed by. I devoured it. Is it a bummer? It's not a bummer at all. Okay. I'm I'm looking it up on my Kindle as you're talking. You can see the light reflecting in my eyeglasses on Zoom. (laughs) There are a few like content warnings at the beginning. There are some side characters who struggle with, who have struggled with addiction in the past, although they're both recovered or recovering. The title is Preferential Treatment. And the author's name is Heather... I think it's pronounced Gare. It's okay. G-U-E-R-R-E. It came right up. Ooh, I like the cover with a chess piece. Is that the yes. queen on there? This yeah. Is like, this is one of these like um, billionaire is actually a submissive and needs a dom female. Why does this ever happen to me? <laughs> <laughs> but it's so well written. You know, It's not like it's literary fiction, but when we talk, when I need a well-written, like a romance, it just needs to be very clear prose, a few well-chosen details to like set the scene, a lot of, you know, content about characters, backstory and motivations and all in just very clear language. And the dialogue is good. Like you can't have clunky dialogue is the one thing that just like, I will just DNF because if it doesn't seem like a natural yeah. dialogue to me, I just can't. But all all of this, this this book like was excellent writing. And then some of the plot point is about points are about like him being a billionaire. And they actually have conversations about what does that mean? Should billionaires even exist? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. both it's not just like politically motivated, like they both have points and they both their backstories play into it, blah, blah, blah. It's just really well written, well thought out, and not 
like trying, it's not an obviously like, oh, I agree with these authors' politics. Like right. you never find yourself like saying that. But then the the big romantic gesture at the end, like I was weeping, like it was so beautiful. Oh, and like I just, I just bought it. I just okay, downloaded good. it. I, I, think I really enjoyed it. You know what? My one of my favorite no- romance novels of all time is The Hating Game by Sally Thorne. And mm. one of my um buds was just trash talking it the other day. She bought it and she was like, this is the loose, most loosely related collected collection of words. She like hated it. And I'm like, oh my God, oh no, what do I say? So that last night when we were all together, I was like, oh my God, I have to confess. I love the hating game so much. And she was like, what? And so like, <laughs> we had a complete like disconnect on that. But, but sometimes that's fun. Yeah, like if it's yeah, someone you like and you yeah, can, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, I do have one more recommendation. Um, it's a book recommendation. Daniel O'Malley's third book in his series, I think the series is called The Shake Files, but it's called Blitz. Um, this is the first book was called The Rook. They did a like one season stars TV series. It was trash. Don't watch it. Read this book. It's called The Rook by Daniel O'Malley. And the third book, Blitz, just came out. They are genius. They are wonderful. They are adventures. They are funny they are scary they are great it's about like a secret secret government organization in the uk that protects from supernatural threats and it's made up of people not all of them but most of them have supernatural powers and they are just good bureaucrats i don't know i love it it's so good it's not a great description of it but if you are into like any type of fantasy or anything kind of supernaturally um, like that, definitely read the series. It's fantastic. I completely, completely agree. You oh, actually, have you read these? Oh, thank God. I'm so glad that you've read them. You bought me the Rook, like the first one. Oh my God. You I'm such a genius. As a Kindle <laughs> gift. And it was for no good occasion. You just liked it so much that you're like, one day you're like gift to Kristen, read the Rook. And it was such a sweet gesture. And um, yes, I read it. It was fantastic. I love, this is what I love, like extremely competent bureaucrats, like just being really, really good at their job. That's so much fun for me to read about. And it's also funny. Like if there's a lot of emotion, like there are times when I cried in this book, but it's also very funny and like there's stakes and it's exciting. The action scenes are really exciting and it's so creative. Um, the second one is called Stiletto. And the third one that has just come out is called Blitz. And the third Blitz is actually a split narrative. Half of it takes place during the Blitz in World War II in London. And then half of it takes place modern time. And what I love that he's doing is each book kind of explores a different aspect of this organization, which is called the, the, the Sheke. Um, it's French. And you learn, um, you meet all these different types of characters. And so it's, they're so good. Highly, highly recommend. I'm so glad. I didn't even remember that I'd sent it to you, Kristen. I'm so glad that you liked it, though. You should read the next two. I should. I will put them on my list. <laughs> I didn't even realize there were more. Yeah. I've been like, I mean, it it took a long time for Blitz to come out. I mean, obviously COVID, some people were like, oh, I wrote my book during COVID. Not everybody was able to do that. Like, I don't know what Daniel O'Malley's deal is, but it's been um, several years, but like no shade, like the world's been through a lot. Um, And it was, it's really good. 
Cool. Well, is there anything else we should say? Or I don't think so. I feel like this episode is just half us talking about stuff that isn't a Christmas carol. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if anybody got bored, I'm sure they turned. That's okay too. It's our podcast. Whatever. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Okay. If I'm off key in any of my singing, you have to cut it. I promise to not cut it. Okay, I will cut it. Okay, yes, I will do the honors. I will do the honors. All right, everyone, gentle listeners, we hope you all have a wonderful, have had a wonderful holiday season. We wish you the best for the new year. Um, This year has been somewhat of a mixed bag, but you know, that's life. And so we wish you health, happiness for 2023. And we have delighted you long enough. Bye, everyone. Bye. a time when I was sure that you and I were truly one, that our future was forever and would never come undone, and we came so close to being close, and though you cared for me, there's distance in your eyes tonight. So we're not meant to be The love is gone The love is gone The sweetest dream That you have ever known The love is gone The love is gone I wish you well But I must leave joy with a growing family every girl and boy will be nephew and niece to me nephew and niece to me will bring love hope and peace to me love hope and peace to me yes and every night will end and every day will start with a grateful prayer and a thankful heart with an open smile and with open doors i will bid you welcome what is mine is yours with a glass Raised to toast your health With a glass raised to toast your health And a promise to share the wealth Promise to share the wealth I will sail a friendly course File a friendly chart On a sea of love and a thankful heart